Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today we take a look at the choices by Mac Brown to move on from two of his staff members. We'll tell you about uh, some of our, you know, replacements that we've, uh, you know, some names that we've heard, some names that potentially we want thrown out there for the defensive coordinator job. Uh, and we will also tell you uh, a little bit uh, about some of the upcoming events this weekend. Uh, at the end of the show, I'll tell you about that uh, for some Tar Heel recruits as they are heading uh, or getting ready to play in a pretty big bowl game. But uh, to start out, I, I think you know you just initial thoughts on the move. I, I think this is probably something that you know Tar Heel Nation was uh, the the most excited about. Uh, especially of this 2021 season, probably one of the most exciting moments for this 2021 season, which kind of tells you where this program was at this year, uh, coming off the expectations that they had in the preseason. But uh, I think this uh, ultimately was probably the right move. Yeah, it's uh, two weeks too late, maybe two months too late. Ultimately, though, this gives Mac Brown a chance to save – save his his face going into next season and and turn around what's been a rather underwhelming second stint in Chapel Hill. This move had to be made. There was no way around not firing Jay Bateman. There just wasn't. Not after that performance against South Carolina, which entered the game as bad a Power 5 offense as there was in college football. And they amassed 38 points and ran for over 300 yards on you. And that's that's because they stopped at those numbers. They could have kept going because they were having that much success, but the game was essentially over in the middle of the third quarter. So I still don't know what took over two weeks since the uh, since the bowl game or, or a little over a week since the bowl game to get to this conclusion. But I'm glad he made it because it gives him a chance to reevaluate his coaching staff and his program, and that's where you're at. 
after a 6-7 and seven season for starting preseason top 10. Someone had to lose their job. We don't want to fire you. We're not firing Phil Longo. The offense hasn't been the problem in the first three years you've been here. They've done their job. It's been a defense that hasn't held up their end of the bargain more times than not, which is why you just wasted the, the greatest quarterback in the history of your program's career in a lot of ways. And it's why if you didn't fix the defense going into next year, you weren't going to be very competitive breaking in a new quarterback and all that stuff. So hopefully he gets the type of guy that could that, that can fix the, the defense. Because, look, we don't got to be dominant defensively. You've got enough offensive firepower year in, year out with Phil Longo where if you're just average, top 50 to 60 defense in the country, you're going to win the type of games we want to win here. They haven't been average. And that's a big reason why they were the biggest disappointment in college football this past season. No, I mean, they've trended in the wrong direction every single year under them. And, I mean, look, you, you always hate to see somebody lose their job because, look, it's it's it, we we know what it feels like. We've we've never personally been fired, but, I mean, you can imagine. It's it's just like any other job that you have. When you get fired, it's it's not a good day. It's It shouldn't be something that – you know, you should be celebrated, but it's different in sports. It's it's something that, like you said, it, it felt like a move that had to happen. There there was no way around it after what happened in that bowl game against a team that was not good offensively. We said it in that recap podcast. That was one of the worst offensive teams in the country. That's probably one of the worst offensive teams to ever make a bowl game. That They did not rank inside of the top 95 in any of the four major offensive categories. Points per game, total yards per game, passing yards per game, rushing yards per game. And you got absolutely gashed for 38 points, 543 yards, and 301 rushing yards. That just can't happen. And I think that this was already kind of heading in the direction from some of what was written and posted on some of the message boards. Greg Barnes over at Inside Carolina put something up last night, basically suggesting that this had kind of been heading in that direction. And I think that the bowl game might have been one last opportunity for him to try to prove himself, to prove that the players were brought, were bought in to his system, and that didn't happen at all. It was the complete opposite. Basically, I think it pretty much cemented the fact that this was not heading in the direction that they needed to. Um, Barnes said last night in 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 that post, basically that things had been had been severed to a point of no return. So maybe they were trying to talk it out here over these last couple of weeks to figure out if there was any way to sort of save what was happening, if there was a way to kind of keep Bateman in place just because of the guys that are there, they fit his scheme, whatever. But I think it just got to a point of no return. And guess what? I think that's the right move. And you could see that was a team a couple of weeks ago against South Carolina that looked like they were going through the motions and looked like they were not prepared to play. By the way, that was only a, that was actually only a week ago, right? Yeah. I mean, they uh, they quit uh, on Jay, and you can't. You well, can't, here's you can't blame the kids because here's the other thing: did they even really quit, or were they set up to fail? This is not a team that I don't think is 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 physically ready. This, this is put it. You gotta 
put it out there the way that it is. This is a soft football team. It's a soft, multiple people have said that. It's a soft program. It's it's been a soft program before Mac Brown. It'll be it's been a soft program during Mac Brown. And it most likely will continue to be a soft program during Mac Brown. But if I was being put in the position week in, week out, and look, there, look, let's make no mistake. A lot of the plays that, that were left on the field was a player issue where they just simply didn't tackle, didn't make the plays. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't like in year one where it was, okay, you felt as the season grew along they were being put in position to make the plays and they just weren't making them. That wasn't the case the last two years. They weren't in, they weren't in the right position to make plays. The scheme wasn't schemed right to give these guys a chance. And the mistakes that they made also were the same they made the same mistakes over and over again and they were never corrected. They were never coaching, held accountable. It's a coaching issue which look, Jay Bateman's going to get the brunt of it cuz he's the coordinator. Ultimately, that falls on your head coach, Mac Brown, especially one who oversees the program like he does. He's not involved in one side or the other. He doesn't have a specialty on either side of the ball. He just oversees everything. If you're re-watching every practice film and looking at every rep and looking at everything a second time and you're still allowing the same guys to go out there and make the same mistakes over and over and over again, that's a lack of accountability. It starts with the player, but it ends with the head coach. And maybe this was Mac Brown finally taking accountability. Now, I don't know when we're going to hear from him about the move. You'd imagine it would be sometime soon, but that that was the other thing about about it is if, if it got to the point of no return, they did a good job hiding under the surface because you couldn't tell that in the media that Mac Brown was disgruntled with Jay Bateman. Which isn't shocking. That's Mac Brown. That's how he's always been. Which is a problem in a lot of ways because sometimes you need your – you look at the greats. The greats, they're not going to throw them under the bus – but when Nick Saban was mad at Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian, he made it known. And guess what? Both of those guys no longer there. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, uh, he he knew he needed to get out of there as quickly as possible. So that's you know you you look at what you got to do sometimes. You you you've got to challenge, and I I was hard on this during the season. You've got to challenge the guys in the media, your players. You got to challenge your your no your, you don't your you have to challenge them. You need to challenge them behind closed doors. No. The problem is, I don't think that's happening. Challenging in them them in the media isn't going to do anything. It never has. If you if you challenge them in the media, that's the only place you challenge them, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you say to the public. They don't owe it to us to tell us what the demands are behind closed doors. Your demands need to be met, and you need to communicate that to your players and to your coaches well, it was, behind closed doors. It wasn't I don't think it behind the closed doors. It didn't look like it I, was. I would try to do it in the open. Throw him under the bus, see what's going to happen. It doesn't but but at that point you might as well just fire the guy. Or you might as well just do whatever. If you're throwing players, if you're throwing coordinators under the bus, whatever, then you're going to get to the point that you're getting with Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. That's a pathetic look. Nobody likes a coach like that. Well, look, that's that's a bold look. That's the way that you like your coaches to be, and that's fine. But here's the thing: if you do that, you better be extremely successful. Because if not, the co- the other coaches on the staff, your players, they're not going to respect you. So a guy like Nick Saban, yeah, he can do that because 
First of all, he didn't do that as a younger coach. And now he's as successful as it gets. He can say whatever he wants to the media. It isn't going to matter because that's always been Nick Saban. That's not always been Mac Brown, and that's fine. But the expectation, you have to be laying out the expectations to him and the rest of your staff as a CEO head coach behind closed doors. And you need to say, look, we're going to have tough conversations. He's told us before that they do have those tough conversations. I don't believe but that. Do, but, but I don't know. Yeah, He I, says that he sits down with these dudes. And look, they, they definitely talk. And yeah, there probably is criticism behind closed doors. He says he's as hard on his staff as anybody. Well, I mean, maybe or maybe, but here's the thing. Maybe Jay Bateman just wasn't a guy that responded to that. Maybe. Here's the other thing. And again, I I feel sorry for Jay Bateman, for his family, everything like that. This is a tough day for them. Can't that that is as tough of a thing that you have to go through as anything in life. Will Someone it be as getting bad fired. when they get the paycheck to not be the defensive coordinator and it's got a lot of zeros behind it. I mean, they <laughs> said parting of ways. I don't know if there was an agreement for money. Probably there was an extension signed last year, so you'd imagine so. But to lose your job and to know to not know if there's going to be a future for you is concerning. It always is. But here's the thing. You I mean, it's he, maybe he just isn't all that great of a defensive coordinator. Not, I maybe that that may have come out wrong. Maybe he's not a power five coordinator, I, which we've talked about before. I and, told you that last year, and that's fine. And I got negative feedback. Who was right? I was right because I think it was proven. I think his system can work, but I think it's got to work in the right situation. That wasn't Carolina. Which is fine, but because that was you hired him because he was an up and coming defensive coordinator. He ran the scheme that a lot of you see that scheme in a lot of different places. The problem was was that you didn't have the athletes the first the first year, and your defense was the best in the first year. So yes, the, the, the year where you didn't have the athletes that best fit what you want to do was the best your defense looked. That was the biggest issue. Had it still been had it been the other way, had they still made progress at the end of the season like they did last year, maybe you're a little bit more willing to bring him back. But you didn't. You you, you got no, you 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 peaked out with probably the worst defensive performance in I, I mean, at least since we've been watching. But because look, you could say whatever you want about that game that Carolina played back in 2015 under G. Chizik in the Russell Athletic Bowl, where they let a Wildcat quarterback run on him. Look, that offense was <laughs> that that offense was at least legit coming into that 646 game. 646 yards. That was a good that was a good Baylor team though. This South Carolina team was what they were. They were a six and six football team that won because of their defense. Their offense was horrendous, and they tore you apart. They made they, they pushed you around like it was nothing. So, yeah, th- this was a move that, that had to be made, and that performance, say whatever you want. I don't know if he was safe before that. We think yes. We think he they were probably taking the stability approach. If he had been able to do what we thought you should have been able to do against South Carolina, which is even just put up an average performance – then you probably would have been okay. 
probably would still be the defensive coordinator here. You would have gotten another year. But with that performance, there's no way you can justify bringing him back, especially with the way the numbers were trending. And that's the thing. that I, I wrote about it in the article uh, that is on the website right now about his firing. Like you mentioned, his best defense was in year one. They allowed 23.7 points per game. That was 45th in the country, 44th in the country. Total defense, 373.2 yards per game, 49th. And then passing yards per game, they were tied for 70th, 51st in rushing yardage per game, and defensive efficiency, they were 68th. You move on to 2020, they allowed 29.4 points per game, which was tied for 64th, 400.9 yards per game uh, total, 58th. Passing yards, 87th. Rushing yards, 50th. Defensive efficiency, 76th. This year, and this is the this is the even more concerning part, you took significant steps back in certain areas. So points per game, you allowed almost three more points per game than you did a year ago. 105th in the country with 32.1 points per game. That's horrendous. 418 total yards per game, tied for 95th in the country. And then passing yards per game, tied for 83rd. You did actually get better in that category, but you still weren't great. Rushing yards, this this one is definitely concerning considering what you went through under Larry Fedora. 98th in rushing yards allowed per game. And then defensive efficiency, you are 99th. So every category except for passing yards per game this year, you went in the wrong direction from when you were hired. And even even with the passing yards per game this year, you were expecting a second-year corner who you had a lot of confidence in in Tony Grimes to take another step. You had Storm Duck for more games than you had him for last year. You expected that even in that area, you would take a step forward. And the other thing is, is each year you got more talented and each year the results got worse. That shows that the group of that, that the talent that you are bringing in clearly isn't being developed right overall or for your system. And that, that it's just, there's no way to explain that like these numbers that I just read off the fact that you didn't rank inside the top 80 in any of the major statistical categories and most of the other ones are the same exact way point uh yards per play 6.6.0 that's in the 90s third down percentage defensively in the 90s it's that is mind-blowing for a defense that we thought coming into the year was at least going to take a step forward with the talent that they had brought in. And yet they took probably their biggest step back since he's been here. Yeah, and that was that was the most frustrating thing. And it was evident. Let's go October. Because they kept you in the game at Virginia Tech. They weren't bad against Georgia State. The first signs of it were probably Virginia. But Even though you won, they didn't look great. I think we knew going into that Virginia game, it was, okay, 
Brennan Armstrong's that's a he's having a good start to the year. That game and look since Bronco and Mac have been competing against each other, that game's been a shootout. Mm-hmm. So you expected that going in. When you went to Georgia Tech and you gave up forty five points and you got bullied and you got pushed around, you got manhandled by a not so good Georgia Tech team. And then you're at the at the time the leader of your defense says after the game, we didn't prepare. Oh, the best part about that game too was it, it wasn't even the first half. The first half you were okay. But as you mentioned, in the second half, Jeff Sims comes into the game and all of a sudden this team isn't prepared for what has killed Jay Bateman's defense since he's been here. A mobile quarterback. And the fact that, yeah, they weren't prepared for that. Oh, you mean the guy that started the season as their starting quarterback, right? That was, that. That was you're right. That was the first time where, I mean, we had said it last year after that game against Wake Forest where Carolina battled back and they, they had to put up a historic performance. Okay, there's some concerns here. That was the one where you really said, oh, this... This this could get really bad here if we're not careful because yeah. you got a guy not preparing for a dude that was their starting quarterback earlier in the year. And you followed that up with, okay, Georgia, Georgia Tech was September 25th, so still in September. Like yeah, you, Duke, you, you, you pummeled them. Florida State. Florida State, yep. Who literally, you knew what they were going to do entering the game. You knew what they are, what they were. Because they had the same personnel from last year, couldn't stop them. Then you play Miami. And look, Van Dyke had a great end of the year. He's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC next year. But at the time, he was an unknown freshman, retro freshman quarterback. And he tore you apart. And then, but you won, so you lived with it. And then at the time when you upset Florida State or, or Wake Forest, it was the same thing last year. You won because your offense outscored them, but because it was a top ten opponent and you and you got two interceptions, you're still well. We we made enough plays. That game was very Larry Larry Fedora esque in the fact that they were horrendous defensively until that fourth quarter, and when they needed a couple of stops late, they turned it up and got them. And it made you ask the question we did on the podcast: Where is this? All the time. The one that I, I I thought to myself, okay, maybe there's some sign, was the Pittsburgh game. The first half, mainly the first quarter, you were terrible. They shredded you, but you responded. And in the second half, you had probably your best defensive half, maybe under Bateman. You were, you were tremendous. And you gave the team a chance to win. Unfortunately, they didn't get it done because, well, penalties came back and bit them. But that was the that that was the one moment where you thought to yourself, okay, maybe they're digging down deep and they're going to find something and finish strong. The game against State, I mean, they weren't bad defensively in that game until. They needed to be good defensively. And down the stretch, one, your 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 defensive game plan was awful. I thought, personally, I thought there you you should have been in basically a prevent defense, don't get beat over the top. 
you get beat over the top twice. And then the game and, and, and South Carolina, unacceptable. So it is what it is. You had to move on. And, you know, wish Jay, wish Jay Bateman the best. I think, you know, and I, I think you probably echo this as well. If he, if he goes back to the group of five, which I think is probably the move for him right now, he has a chance to be a good defensive coordinator. It's just about finding the right fit for him. And, you know, Carolina, that wasn't the only move they made. They end up firing or parting ways with special teams coach, uh, special teams coordinator and uh, outside linebackers coach Javon DeWitt. Not all that shocking. Coming into the season, Mac Brown said, look, special teams has to improve. They did for the most part. The problem is, what's the lasting memory going to be of special teams this year? The fact that you couldn't recover an onside kick against NC State. And you had guys out there that looked like they had not much of an idea as to what they were supposed to do on that onside kick. Uh, plus, in that game, two punts blocked. So, I think that... Mainly, I think the move was made because of outside linebacker. Two years he's been there. Tamont Fox is the only one that's produced for you there. And the other guys, I mean, when we talk about producing, I mean, you're talking about guys that combined may have had 10 tackles for loss over the last couple of seasons. They weren't able to contain the edge. That was one of the big issues. That's a, that's an issue that carries over from the Fedora era that they still got to get figured out. And they just weren't able to get pressure on the outside. And they need to be able to do that going forward. Mac Brown talks so much about getting pressure in one-on-one situations. It starts with those edge rushers. You need a guy that's a change of pace there. And also, with them moving on from Bateman, there's some people thinking that there could be a scheme change to a certain extent. Maybe even if it's still 3-4, they'll, they'll have some different concepts or they're just going to go in a different direction completely. That's one of the reasons why they moved on from him as well. That position probably seems, you know, it, it, it's maybe a little bit obvious where they're going to go. More than likely, they'll probably just end up promoting a guy who was the special team's assistant this year in Larry Porter. He handled that role as well when he was at Auburn. So uh, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what direction uh, they go in there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll take a look at the candidates for defensive coordinator, some of the names that we would like to see uh, at, at, at D.C., some of the names that have been floated out there as well. Uh, it'll be a, a group of guys that we'll talk through. We'll uh, you know throw out some names for you guys to keep an eye on, and then we'll come back and wrap it up with a couple of notes at the end of the show about uh, some Toriel players, some Toriel recruits that are playing in some big bowl games. So hold on with us here. Uh, you know, Hear from DraftKings, and we'll be back right after this. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, No worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. 
DraftKings is giving new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code TPPN, throw $1 down on any NHL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back into the Heel Tough Blog podcast. It's Anthony Pagnotta, Josh Marlowe with you here. So we've talked about the firing or parting of ways with Jay Bateman. That means Carolina's got an opening at defensive coordinator, and this is a big one. So Carolina's got to be able to make a good hire here. We feel like this is, you, know, you, you you've said it, and I thought it's, a, it's, it's the best way to put it. You're at a crossroads with the Mac Brown 2.0 era. So this is the probably the biggest hire that you are going to make of this era and you know there are a lot of names that people are going to want to throw out there. I think the the most obvious one that everybody's mind goes to first that is worth putting out here but I think it's pretty obvious. I don't think it has been confirmed that he is the new defensive coordinator because Dan Lanning, as of right now, is still there. I believe he is going to coach the national championship game unless I have missed that. Um, but it's Will Muschamp. He's a guy who was a def- is a defensive assistant on that staff. Of course, has ties with Mac Brown going way back. He was basically the coach in waiting at one time at uh, at Texas and was the defensive coordinator there for Mac Brown um, during one of the most successful stretches of Texas football. Um, he took the job back in 2008 and coached there uh, under Mac Brown for three seasons. This one, I think, to me, this is a little bit of a pipe dream here. I think he is definitely a guy that would be a splash hire. This would probably be the best hire that you can make. I know there's other solid names on this list, but I feel like this one's probably the best one that you can make. But do you agree that this one, I mean, he as of right now, it is listed that he is going to be co-defensive coordinator next year. But I don't see any way that you, even if you just offer him the defensive coordinator job outright, I think it's a really tough sell because matching salaries, the prestige of the jobs, I think it's it's just too much to ask here. Yeah, I think had you gotten on this back in early December, maybe, I think I think now there's just no chance. But even the, the other thing, even then, like it was pretty obvious that Dan Lanning was going to get a head coaching job, so it would still have been a tough sell for you. But I think you're right. I think you know it was it was his name and Manny Diaz that was floated out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see some people joking around saying, "Hey, Manny's already bailed on one team from Pennsylvania without coaching a game there. Could he bail on them to come to Carolina?" I, that's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is it's it's your mind's right to go here first. But the problem is, is that you at least make him tell you no. Yeah, I mean, I give him a call. I'd see how he's doing. I mean, I would imagine Max probably in contact with them relatively often. He sees the area code. He answers. 
call just mysteriously drops, but you can say you tried. Yeah, I mean, and, and look, and here's the thing. His track record is is extremely strong. I know people are going to remember and say, well, look at him at Florida as the head coach. Look at him at South Carolina as the head coach. Pretty much everywhere that he's been as a D.C., he's had some pretty good success. So that would be a good hire. Another one that I've seen brought up multiple times, and this one I think there are a lot of different layers that go into this one, is Gene Chizik coming back to Chapel Hill. First of all, just right off the top, would you have any interest in that based on what we saw from the last time when he was in Chapel Hill? Yes. He wasn't a bad defensive coordinator. He wasn't great. You don't need you don't want to be great. You need to be average. He can make your defense average in an offseason cuz he did that the last time he was he was he was your defensive coordinator. And you got more talent than he had back then. You got more depth than this defense had back then. And the offense and could be just as explosive as it was back then. If it was Sam Howell so your quarterback, that this offense is better than the offense that Marquise Williams had that took you to an ACC title game. So, yes, because he can do a lot of good for you in six to eight months. The problem is, is do you put yourself back in that situation where after two years he's burnt out again? Because it's it's a hard coaching's a hard job. It's a time consuming job. He's older. He has kids that have grown up. And he's at a point in his life where he likes spending time with his family. It's it's hard to get those coaches that step away to come back. You got lucky with Mac Brown. Like Bob Stoops never gonna probably coach again. Even though he's well, he coached he coached the one bowl game, but I don't think outside of that, that he's coming even count. back. Yeah, right? exactly. So that that's that's the drawback. Is is after two years, is he gonna be burnt out? Because Well, there's a look, there's a couple drawbacks to him. First of all, he if he was to take over as your defensive coordinator, it will have been five years since he last coached. The last time he had a job was on your staff. So it's been a while. Um, I don't think that's as big of a concern because, you know, we saw Mac Brown come back after his layoff. There's probably, you know, some that's something Mac could probably walk him through as well. Again, he hasn't been completely detached from football. He's been on television now, not in the capacity that Mac Brown has been or was when he was was off, I should say. But, you know, he was still around the game. Um, but I, I think that's a concern. His comments earlier this year, earlier, actually now last year, about NIL, probably a little concerning as well because that's a pretty polarizing topic in college football right now. Um, and he took a pretty strict stance on it on social media. So that's going to be brought up. And that's going to be an element here. And then there's a third element. Yesterday, he was named the head coach and general manager of the Birmingham Stallions of the USFL. Now, the problem is, is that he went on social media and basically said, that is not confirmed. So, what does that mean? Carolina apparently has been in contact with people. Is that one of the guys they've contacted? Is that something that he's interested in? 
That's the other element with him. There's a lot that goes into that. So that one's interesting for sure. Yeah, look, when it comes to the NIL thing, I don't know. That shouldn't be a determining factor if you hire a coach. Well, here's the thing. or if, if you think that if you basically this is what you would have to do on that one. That's a name that you would have to float out there as, hey, we talked to him. What do you guys think? That that's one where you sit the players down and ask them, "What do you think? Would you play for this guy? Well, he, or do you not like him?" He took Auburn to a national championship. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's more qualified to run your defense than Jay Bateman was. Oh, I agree with that. So, but look, it's just it's a conversation that has to happen. And look, if your players don't want to play for a guy because he disagrees or has problems with NIL, Carolina needs some old school. In the program, they need they they need they need they need some tough coaches. They they need some of that 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 type of coach is going to grind on these players. They need to be coached hard because they haven't been coached hard. So the 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 other concern with that comment, I think, more than anything, isn't even with the players that are in your locker room right now. It's about the guys that are coming in in the future. Does that hurt you recruiting-wise? Because here's the thing. You said about does he get burnt out in terms of coaching and everything like that. I think this would be easier on him this time around because if Mac Brown keeps guys that are recruiting with him right now in place, he doesn't really have to do a lot of that work. The problem, the, the, the issue is going to be when he's in the homes with families and everything like that, and they're saying, look, you know, we're looking at, you know, we, we have NIL deals that are possible, that that comment is going to get brought up, and he's got to explain that to parents and to kids. So that's, the, I mean, that's an area that I think is, is, is a legitimate concern, no? I mean, it's a concern, but look, here, here's what it comes back to with NIL. The second that you draw a paycheck or you 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 make money, whatever, and you're not getting paid directly by the school yet, in a lot of ways you're a professional. And the whole argument was leading up to when we got to this point was we're not student athletes, we're professional athletes who attend college. Okay. Well then you gotta be able, you gotta deal with being treated like one. And and in the NFL But but in the NFL do do your do your offensive and defensive coordinators Say we don't think you deserve to get paid because that's 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 pretty much what he was saying. But you that's know, the problem. But it's 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 that type of coach. It's it's that type of mindset where you want to get paid. You got to be receptive to being treated like a professional. And look, but again, what professional treats you? Are there head coaches in the NFL that say I don't think you should get paid money to do? Yeah, things? you have NFL coaches that kick players. Yeah, exactly. Is that is that a good example? So it's you know look, that's the problem. If 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 you don't want to hire a coach because he disagrees with players making money, even though he's qualified to run your defense, you probably shouldn't be making those decisions anymore. You, it, I don't give a damn what he thinks about nil because if he can fix the defense, then they're they're still going to make their money and everyone's going to be happy at the end of the day. Well, here, yeah, we don't care. But the problem is, is that the recruits, the players that are in that locker room, some of the other coaches may care about that. Now, look, I think that there's probably a conversation that would be had if that's your guy. You're going to sit down and talk with these players, and Gene's probably going to explain his position. And maybe 
have a conversation with the guys on the team where they can explain their position and maybe allow him to understand what's going on. But I, I think that's an element here. One of the other guys that a lot of people have talked about here, because there is a rumor surfacing. I, I said that they um, you know, had had met with some guys apparently already. There is a rumor that they've had conversations with somebody that's got close ties to Auburn. And one of the guys that has been floated out there is Kevin Steele, who's a longtime defensive coordinator for them. He's had a lot he had a lot of success there at Auburn in his time there. And I know that there's a lot of people age concerned with him. He's 63 years of age. Um, this past year, I don't believe he was a coach anywhere. It does list him as Tennessee's interim head coach at one point, but he wasn't on a staff, I don't think, officially this year. I think he just uh, was a part of their staff for one game this season. But th- this is this is a guy that, I mean, you look at his track record from 2016 to 2020, he was the defensive coordinator at Auburn. Prior to that, he was at LSU. He's been at Alabama. He was at Clemson. So this guy has coached at some huge jobs. Another guy where, again, depending on what he wants to do, how the, the if you keep some of your staff in place, we know the way that they've been able to recruit, not as much pressure on him as a recruiter. But this is a guy that if you look at just the pure track record, this is probably a, as good of a track record as you're going to get. Of all the three names you've read off, that's the most enticing name. Really? Yes. Hmm. So that that's the one that if, if, if you can make that happen, money, what whatever he wants, staffing, he wants to bring in some of his own guys. And I think that's going to be the, 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 the other part of this where Matt Brown's got to understand. Mm-hmm. You may have to get rid of some of their defensive coaches. It's not just coordinator. They're going to want some guys that they have relationships with. And if you're not willing to do that, then you may, you're going to be kind of where you are right now, where you're still kind of stuck. You may still hire a defensive coordinator, but you shall not make the right hire. And, but yeah, you give me that guy with that track record of coaching in the SEC, of coaching big boy football, and you're getting those type of athletes. You don't have. You don't have half of the athletes that those schools have, but you're getting some of them. Then I think he's the type of guy that can get you where you need to get to defensive, defensively entering next year. Because if Carolina is not average defensively next year, odds are they're not making a bowl game. That's just the facts. And so you that's why it's so important to get the higher right. Because you, you've got to take marginal steps forward on the defensive side of the football. Mm-hmm. Given that you're replacing your 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 starting quarterback, three of your three of your offensive linemen gone, you have a lot of things that you got to work through offensively next year. As it is, you're bringing back some dudes defensively. You're bringing in some talent defensively. You've got to be competitive defensively. He gives you that chance to be competitive. Yeah, and look, I mean, he's coached at 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 an elite level. I mean, he coached in the SEC. So you may say, well, look how how great is he as an actual actual coach is it just that he's had talent around him or whatever no the numbers 
prove that he is a really good head coach. The guys that he develops proves that he is a really good head coach. This is a dude that has coached guys, you know, like Derek Brown, name that most Panther fans should know. You're looking for somebody that has a scheme where defensive tackles can thrive. It's a scheme where he's had defensive tackles thrive. Carl Lawson, that's an edge rusher who's had a ton of success. And the numbers, I mean, you you go back, the defense was never the real issue for Auburn. They always seem to have pretty good success. And, I mean, you're, you're talking about teams, I mean, in his time there, he did not have a defense until 2020 that allowed more than 20 points per game. You could say whatever you want. Well, they play in the SEC or whatever. They're lo- it doesn't matter. This is still a group. This is still a guy that has had just about as much success as you can have. His track record, as you mentioned, is the best of these guys here. He's coached under Nick Saban. He's coached under. I'm trying to think. At 15, was that still Les Miles at LSU? Should have been. Yes. And then under Gus Malzahn and had plenty of success there. This would be a pretty good hire. This would be a splash hire for sure. Now, if they want to go the younger route, another name that's been brought up, and this one this one I, I like. I, I think this one, there, there's a lot of possibility here too, is Travis Williams, the defensive coordinator for... UCF. Now he is he was in his first year as their defensive coordinator this year, but he was the co-defensive coordinator for 2019 and 2020 with Auburn. He was their linebackers coach and he was their recruiting coordinator. So this guy has already held pretty significant positions. He went and took the defensive coordinator job at, at at Central Florida basically because Gus Malzahn got fired and Brian Horson wanted to bring in his own staff. He followed Gus, and they had pretty good success this year. They weren't as dominant as they've been in previous years, but there's still pretty good success there. The fact that he's coached in the SEC I think is huge. He's a young guy where if you're looking for that next coach in waiting and you really feel like – this guy has that potential. That could also be on the table there as well. I think this has to be a guy that you give a look because that's the thing. If you think Kevin Steele is a little bit too old, you think he's a guy that maybe you, – you, I, I don't know what you would be thinking because I've seen some people that have had pushback on that one. If you think that he's just a guy that you're you're looking for someone that's younger, that can connect with the kids a little bit more, whatever. I don't know what you're looking for there. I think Travis Williams makes a ton of sense here. Yeah, and I mean, look, he's got experience coaching big-time football. He's, as you said, he's young, so he's going to be energetic can better relate to the players because now that's that's a really big factor. I'm uh, that's me throwing I don't know why people are so critical of Steele. His track record's phenomenal, not really getting what they would be against there. But it wouldn't but, do anything for me. It wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't thread the needle. It wouldn't got it wouldn't get my excitement. And I, I think 
I don't know if Carolina's got to make a splash hire, but they've got to make a darn good one. That might be a good one, but I don't know if it's going to be darn good. It wouldn't be to the level of a Chiswick or a Kevin Steele, but I, I, you know, I do. Oh, I would take him over Chiswick. I, I think because yeah, of all you know, the cause, different because he, he led a team to a national championship. No, but of all the different elements that you said, the one, the one that concerns me the most is the one that you brought up. How long is he going to be there? Is that a guy that you know is not going to get bored with coaching? Because we've seen that now twice during his career where he has just given up coaching and walked away. I feel more secure with a guy like Williams, who's young. He seems like he has the passion. He's coached in the SEC, and his track record stands for itself. I mean, this is one of those ones where, yeah, it's taking a little bit of a risk, but you may have to do that because I don't, don't think Kevin. St- they don't have. They can afford to take a risk. I mean, who who are the who are the the coordinators that are not risks here? Kevin Steele, that's okay. it. They because if you take a risk and you swing and miss, you're probably having a conversation next year or the year after where you're firing Mac Brown. And guess what? I don't care. Like it's not it's not it's not him retiring and thinking it it won't be the the sunshine and rainbows we want it to be it's it's you're firing him. But the here's the here's here's the thing. If you want to get to where you said you wanted to get to, that involves taking risks. So hey, they you, did that with Jay Bateman. You want to be secure. Th- th- this would be a much better hire than Jay Bateman. Jay Bateman was a guy that was proven at the group of five level. This is a dude that's been a co-defensive coordinator under a guy that, as we just talked about, has a loaded track record in the SEC, and the results are there. This this would probably be, for me, right below Steele in terms of the ones that intrigue me the most. Another guy that's been talked about, Rodney Gardner, or Rodney Garner, excuse me. He is the defensive line coach at Tennessee. Uh, was the associate head coach at Auburn. Coach there for a long time, from 2013 to 2020. Defensive line coach as well. That's a name that a lot of people have talked about. Now, I don't know if that is a defensive coordinator or if that's somebody that would come over as a package deal. If that's defensive coordinator... That one's that one's concerning to me because this will be the first time that he has been a defensive coordinator. Now, again, his his track record is pretty good. Not hiring a first-time defensive coordinator. But I I I would agree with that. I think that's a that's a tough hire. Like I think I think that Williams calculate is a calculated risk. He's been a defensive coordinator before and he's had some success. This would be really reaching and I think this is people maybe trying to dig in a little bit on the Auburn connections because as I mentioned he was there from 2013 to 2020 I would be I'm not I I would be a little I I would be disappointed in this hire I'm not gonna lie this would be a little bit disappointing to me for sure yep um Todd Grantham hell no that's another name that's been brought up I'll give Todd Grantham this. He he's had he he's had some good years before. 
2019 for Florida was tremendous. One of the nation's sack leaders with 49 that season. 2020, they had success as well in terms of getting to the quarterback. But, boy, this this last year was not great for him. He was fired midseason. Now, part of that is, again, that's Dan Mullen. The ship was sinking. He made a move that maybe he thought would energize them. This is a guy that's, again, he's got a track record. So if you're looking for a guy that's proven and has been there before, then this is one of those guys that you probably look at. But I don't think this, this to me, not ahead of Steele, not ahead of Williams. Him and Chiswick, I think, are pretty close. The problem with, uh, he has the edge. Chiswick's been out of the game for five years. I don't, but I don't think either one of these guys are overly exciting to me. No, no um, he's probably the the lowest on my list. I ain't hiring that guy. Okay, I mean, so the track record doesn't no doesn't do anything for no. you. That defense is god awful. Do you hold anything against him because he was at one time a coach on the Dallas Cowboys staff? No. I love all of my former coaches. Sure. Okay. All right. That defense was atrocious. If we want to, if we want to stay atrocious, should have kept Jay Bateman. I, the, I, the only argument that I would make is I think a lot, a lot had to do with Dan Mullen. Things went downhill very quickly there. Dan Mullen is Dan Mullen's a weirdo, man. Some of the stories that have come out about him, just strange. And and but yeah, I, I think it's hard to ignore. How bad that defense got at the end um, under him. It, it, it's that's that's one where, I mean, you talk about a guy that's got a track record. I feel like that's that's a risk too. That's that's really risky because you're betting on him being the guy that we saw at other times during his defensive coordinator career. And look, he he's got he's got a long history. He was at Georgia. From 2010 to 2013, Louisville from 2014 to 2016, and then Mississippi State in 2017 before eventually following Dan Mullen. But I don't know that one. Yeah, I'm I'm not too thrilled by that one. Another one that's come up now. This one, this one's interesting. Joe Rosie, or Rosie, I believe is how you would pronounce it. I'm an idiot and. I don't know why I pronounced it that way. Joe Rossi is the defensive coordinator, linebackers coach for Minnesota. And this defense has been really, really good since he has taken over. And the last two years primarily, they have been one of the better defenses in the country this year. They were simply outstanding. They finished sixth in the country in points per game. And every other major category, they were very highly ranked as well. So this is a guy that I I think's worth a look here. If you're serious about this, I definitely think that this is worth a look here. Anybody from the Big Ten, that's a defensive-minded conference. You, you have to play defense there or you don't win. He is a big part of the reason why they have been so successful over the last couple of years. 
under P.J. Fleck. This one, this one intrigues me. I don't know how much smoke there actually is here on this one, how much actual interest there is here, but this is a name I could get behind pretty quickly if he emerges as a serious candidate. Yeah, the problem is, is does he not want to? Does he want to leave coaching for P.J. Fleck to go coach for Mac Brown? He yeah, could- he doesn't have any connections, so th- this is one where money, money would have to talk here, for sure. So, I mean, look. You look at what he's built with in Minnesota, you can't argue that he's done a fantastic job. And that's a big reason why that team at one point was competing for a Big Ten West championship. Didn't work out, but they were in the running there because of that defense. And granted, it helps they play on the side of the Big Ten where there aren't that many high-potent offenses. But they, 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 they've held their own against the Ohio States. They've, they've, they've played well against good offenses in the past, so... It's more about, does that guy want to leave coaching for P.J. Fleck, a guy that all of the assistants rave about working with him, working for him, coaching with him, for Chapel Hill? The weather might play a big factor because it's not cold as hell in in November. Mm -hmm. It's sunny. It's a little bit warm. And Chapel Hill is a lot more beautiful than Minneapolis. But you probably got to pay him and pay him a a decent amount because – but look, they're at a point where any of these guys that you're you're naming off, the Chizics, the Steels, whoever, those, those are big money guys. And look, if you want to be a serious football program, you 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 got to pay your coordinators right at a million dollars or over a million. And look, dollars. you've proven with Phil Longo and 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 when you gave Jay Bateman an extension last year that you're willing to pay some money. You're putting more money than you did under Larry Fedora and previous staffs. But yeah, you, you've got to pay up a little bit of money here. The concern, the only thing that concerns me a little bit about Rozzy is the 2020 season. But the the, the thing here, because he, they, they allowed 30 points per game, 415 yards of total offense. That was an extremely young defense, though. I would say, I'm not... I'm not going to butcher him too much, though, because here's the other thing. You look at what he's done there with a lot less talent than he's going to be able to get at Carolina in a much easier area to recruit than up there in the Northwest where, yeah, I mean, it's just it's not the same recruiting area as down here, especially because in in that area of the country, it's run by the teams in the Big Ten that have the most success. It's run by Ohio State. It's run by Michigan. It's run by Michigan State. Even Nebraska, just because of the name. Minnesota's not an easy place to recruit at. And you know he's a guy that's developed some talent there. Um, two more names that I'll throw out here. One is, is, is Charles Kelly. This one's a name that came up. Um, by a couple of people, including a former Tar Heel player, Ryan Switzer, who brought his name up, which I thought was interesting that he threw that name out there. This one's pretty legit, though. He's the co-defensive coordinator at Alabama right now. He's a guy that's been a full-time defensive coordinator before. Um, I mean, he, he was he was that at Florida State, had some nice success there to close out the Jimbo Fisher era before eventually moving back and, and coaching under Nick Saban in Alabama. And he's also, the other interesting element here is that 
he also has a pretty good background with special teams. So this could kill two birds with one stone right here. Let, let's go ahead. That's that's the dumbest damn thing I've ever heard. They need to hire a special teams coach, and that's all he does. I mean, hey, his, his track record's pretty proven. So no, if you want to kill whole, two birds with one stone, go ahead. This I mean, whole thing of having a, a special teams coordinator who doubles up as a position coach, it's a big reason why our special teams haven't been, well, special. Here's the thing about Charles Kelly. That's a great name. That brings pedigree. The succession at Alabama probably lines up for him to either be a full-time defensive coordinator in the near future, which would then make him a head coach within the next three to five years. Just looking at the way that his coaching tree works in the past, where he replaces coordinators, they take over, they do a really good job, they get a head coaching job. Doesn't always work out, but you're not going to not hire a guy who coached under Nick Saban. So if you if you can get that guy... You get that guy. But he's going to have some demands. Yep. And you're probably hiring him with the mindset of what you thought you were hiring when you hired Jay Bateman. You're grooming that guy to be the next head coach when Mac Brown either retires or you fire him. Yeah, he's a, he's a tough no he's a tough nosed dude too. He's a no BS guy. We've seen, you know, stuff that they've done on him before. And yeah, the fact that he's been proven Outside of Alabama as a full-time defensive coordinator, I think is encouraging as well. Here's the thing. You say he's a no BS guy. Is there an actually a willing BS guy? Like, has a coach <laughs> ever admitted that I'm a BS guy? I don't think anybody's admitted that, but I think there are guys in, in coaching that are not the strictest coaches let's just they they there are guys that definitely want to try to relate to the players want to be friends with the players they want to take that softer approach that more that uh, not even softer they want to take that friendly I'm your friend approach now the interesting thing with Kel you may say well why would he want to come to Carolina isn't he going to be the guy that's the next defensive coordinator in Alabama the problem is Pete Golding who's their guy right now is not going anywhere this year. I don't really know how how quickly he wants to become a head coach. I, I, I'm not really 100% sure about that. He's 37 years of age, so he's still relatively young. He's only in his second year under Nick Saban. So this might not be a guy that's looking to rush into being a head coach. This isn't a guy that... You know, like some of the other positions, primarily his offensive coordinator, where you've seen guys that are former head coaches that are using that basically as a stepping stone to become head coaches once again. So that's an interesting element here. I think it's kind of outside the box, but I mean that's one where yeah, that'd be worth. I mean that'd be worth. That's probably right in the middle of my list. I, I would have that up there. I think that's probably. The other reason why it's not higher, a little dose of reality there, that leaving Alabama staff is not really all that attractive because of the amount of success that they've had there, but maybe worth the call. The last name that I'll throw out, and this one's kind of the out-of-the-box one. I have not seen this name brought up. This is me looking at other guys and just wondering out loud. I think there are a lot of guys on this list that I would have ahead of him. But if you get to a certain point, I think Coastal Carolina's defensive coordinator, Chad Staggs, could be a guy that would be worth looking at. 
this year made the move to defensive coordinator and safeties coach, which is the spot that Jay Bateman coached as well. And this defense has a really good track record over the last couple of years. You're talking about a guy that also that that has you know gotten this team, uh, and this defense has been a big part of it to, you know, into multiple college football rankings, and had them number twelve in the final college football rankings of last year, along with head coach Jamie Chadwell. Um, the thing here is, yeah, this is this is a step up from the group of five level, just like. Travis Williams, who we mentioned earlier, just like Jay Bateman. But you look at a guy that's developed talent, has done a lot with a little. This they, they I mean, they're recruiting better than they ever have in program history, but that's not saying a ton, considering they used to be an FCS program. This is one where if you got if you if you didn't get some of those big names that we talked about or those aren't guys up there, I think this might be worth giving a look to. That's that's your last resort. I oh I agree I like agree that's, this, that's if everybody and your mother tells you no. And if you're getting to this point, you're honestly not going in with. Big time hopes. Yeah, you're going in knowing that you're still going to suck next year defensively. I don't know about that. This would be this would be another one of those ones where you're taking a major risk. You're 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 going out getting a guy that's been proven at the at the group of five level, and you're bringing him in hoping he meshes well with your staff, and it just works out. He would be lower on my list. But from some of the other options out there, once you get past that group that we just talked about, it thins out a little bit. He's got a he's you know the last couple of years that team has been that 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 team has been really really good. They have come out of nowhere. They've been one of the best group of five teams. If Grayson McCall doesn't get injured this year, that's a team that would have been right on the precipice of playing in a New Year's Six bowl game. So, you know, I, I think that's a guy that's low on the list, but if it got to that point, that could be the best of a worse situation. There. Any other any other names that you're interested? Any other names that I'm missing here? Nope. Um... I, I think that's 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 pretty much the list. That's the ones we would throw out there. Um, it, it feels like this is going to probably be a pretty quick move, and it needs to be because you want to get you know you're you're you got guys getting ready to come on campus. If not, they are already on campus. I think they may arrive today or tomorrow. The early enrollees in this 2022 class. So you're going to want to get. Your defensive coordinator in there so he can sit down, start laying out the scheme, start laying out his demands for this team, and start getting these guys in the weight room to work the way that he wants them to. And I think Carolina is going to do that. They moved fast before on a lot on on these hires. They did with Mac Brown. They did with his staff. So we'll see how quickly they end up moving on this. 
couple of closing notes uh, before we get you out of here. Um, one from the uh, the guys that are already on campus and a guy that actually is now leaving campus, Sam Howell. He is going to the Reese's Senior Bowl. Uh, so a, gr- a great opportunity for him to prove himself out there with some of the best senior quarterbacks. He is allowed to go because he did graduate in the classroom as a senior, so he is eligible. They ended up selecting him, uh, as you would expect, and he's going to go down there to Mobile and have a chance to show out, so he'll get that opportunity. As of right now, still going to get the NFL Combine opportunity. That hasn't been there, – there's no ruling on that yet, although that one – that's probably something that'll be up in the air considering what's going on with COVID right now, but we'll see. And then pro day. So he's going to get all three of those opportunities. That's huge for him to try to make a climb up that quarterback big board, uh, which is still in flux. It's, it's, you know, we're going to have some draft guys on to talk about it, but uh, everything that I've heard uh, from, from these draft people so far is that that quarterback, uh, you know, those quarterback position rankings are still rather fluid. There's not a clear number one guy. So, Sam, if he can do some really good things at all of those events, he has a chance to climb up there. In terms of the guys that are not on campus yet, uh, we had the Under Armour All-American game, of course, this past weekend. Uh, Carolina had a group of guys that played in that game. Zach Rice, George Petaway were active for it. Uh, Travis Shaw uh, did not play in the game. He had his arm uh, in a sling at one point during the game, uh, so definitely something uh, that is worth keeping an eye on. Andre Green Jr., um, he you know participated, I think, in a couple of practices and then was out uh, due to an injury. And then uh, you had Doc Chapman, uh, the slot receiver, who is out from an injury that he suffered earlier in the fall season uh, at the high school level. So uh, he was unable to participate in that game. But he, the, all five of those guys were in attendance there. Meanwhile, down in San Antonio, Texas, in the Alamo Dome, they will be having the Army All-American game. That is tomorrow. That'll be on NBC. Carolina is only going to have one guy that's going to participate in that game. And it was actually a guy that got a late call-up to that game. Marcus Allen, the cornerback out of Walton High School in Walton, Georgia, got the call. He's been down there practicing throughout the week. He will play in the game. Sebastian Cheeks was going to play in the game, but unfortunately he has a medical uh, a family emergency uh, that he does have to go back to Chicago for. You hate to see that um, and hoping the best for him and his family uh, there. And with that situation, and then Amari and Hampton, and he is unable to play uh, in the game due to uh, he, he is in uh, the health and safety protocols, actually. So he will not be able to play in the game. Uh, he was there originally early in the week, um, but I believe he was sent home due to the fact that he had to be put in health and safety protocols. So you hate to see that, but Carolina will have one of their cornerback uh, commits on display there, so make sure you guys check that out, and we'll have a full breakdown of both of those games uh, a- after that game concludes uh, to tell you about what Carolina's prospects did in those games. We're also hoping to potentially get a guest or two on that was involved with those games to sort of give you a breakdown of what they looked like in the week of practice, all that great stuff, uh, and uh, just make sure you're keeping an eye out for that on the website and, of course, uh, wherever you listen to the podcast. Website's uh, probably the best place to check out everything uh, because you got the articles on there, podcasts are on there, too. There's tabs at the top of the page for uh, both podcasts, the Heel Tough Blog podcast 
and the Four Corners podcast. Also, make sure uh, that you uh, check out all the other great stuff that we've got on there. But the articles, that's really where you want to be at. We've got you know the article breaking down the firing of Jay Bateman. We go a little more in-depth as to why Carolina had to make this move, uh, especially at this time. There is an update in there about uh, Javon DeWitt as well. That broke right after we actually posted the article. Uh, Brett McMurphy from Stadium was the first to report that, so we added that to there as well so make sure you check uh, that article out Um, and then of course we will have final grades from the 2021 season those will be going up here soon after we get through all of this stuff uh, with the defensive coordinator position so make sure uh, you guys are keeping an eye out on the site for that uh, as well and uh, on the podcast side of things, yeah, we're getting ready to head into off-season mode. Uh, we'll have the award show at the end of the season like we always do. We'll give those out, and then we'll end up going into the off-season mode. Again, recruiting, they're, you know, Carolina's still pursuing one guy as of right now in the 2022 class. Looks like that's going to be the one guy they're going to be pursuing down the stretch. That's 22 three-star defensive tackle Ahmad Moten. We'll keep you up to date on that one. He has a scheduled and official visit to Carolina, so... Uh, They're going to be in the hunt here. Not sure uh, if they're going to be able to go into the backyard of Miami, where he's from in Fort Lauderdale, to grab him. But that is one that Carolina is still seeking out at this point. So we'll have you covered on that front. Transfer portal. Carolina has been in contact with a couple of guys. They just offered a guy the other day, Antoine Wells, out of... Uh, out of James Madison, his numbers first two years were tremendous, so he's a guy that's going to try to make the move up. That could be an interesting one to keep an eye on here for Carolina over the next couple of weeks, so we'll have you covered on that front as well. Um, and, you know, any of the other offseason moves, uh, guys, you know, potentially entering the transfer portal again from Carolina. We've had, you know, a couple of guys that have entered the portal lately, Stephen Gosnell, uh, Trey Morrison, those articles are up on the website. Any other draft decisions, of course, Sam Howell, Marcus McKeithen, Jordan Tucker, those guys all up on the website for you to check out. Uh, Joshua Zudu as well up there. So check out all that stuff, and we'll have you covered on that front as well as we get closer. Podcast, any major website. Subscribe to them, whether it's iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts, I should say, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, tune in any of those sites. Make sure you subscribe to that and the Four Corners Podcast when you're on there for all your basketball coverage. Also, make sure you check out the social media pages. Facebook, that's the best place to check out everything that has the audio editions of the podcast. The articles, the video editions of the podcast, all in one place at Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. Make sure you like and follow the page so that everything goes on your timeline. No worries about those groups if you're in them. Um, we will post them in those groups, but it's just easier for you uh, if it's on your timeline in a convenient spot for you. And also, uh, make sure you check out our Twitter feed at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter at HTB Anthony for my personal account, at HTB Josh for his personal account, and at HackZubber2 for our guy, Zach Hubbard. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for joining me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tarius. <laughs>